forever. Dog. Hey everyone, you're listening to the Writers Panel podcast. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. On this podcast, we talk about the business and process of writing mostly television with mostly television writers. My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator and host of this show. I myself am a television writer and a writer of other things. You may have seen my name on Supernatural, on Puss in Boots, as well as some other series. Most recently, you can find the Audible original series Cut and Run, which my writing partner and I have written. It's about the relationship woes of best friends who happen to be kidney thieves. It's available at audible.com slash cut and run. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. That's always very helpful for us. Also, please follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so. And let me know who else you would like to see on this show. What are you watching on television? What's getting you excited or inspired? And we'll try to get those creators or at least someone from the show to talk about TV because that's what we love to talk about. Here's the theme song. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Listen, we're just going to start. We're going to jump in because I feel like you all have a lot of advice and stories to share. Um, What I'm going to do is have you introduce yourselves on the microphones, tell us your name, and somewhere the listener may have seen your name on their television screen. Jessica, let's start with you. Um, hello, my name is Jessica Gao. Um, most people probably know me from writing on Rick and Morty. I wrote an episode called Pickle Rick that people were really into. I've also is that written... your Emmy winning episode? <laughs> yes, why? Well, yes, it is Ben Blacker, <laughs> my Emmy award winning episode. <laughs> um, I knew you weren't going to say. That. <laughs> um, uh, the conditions of me being on this podcast was that you organically found a way to say that. <laughs> Um, I've also written on shows like Silicon Valley. I wrote on Robot Chicken, uh, Corporate, um, and currently I'm running She-Hulk for Netflix on Disney+. Plus. Okay. Hi, I'm Liz Benjamin, and I have written on a bunch of shows. I've been on Law & Order Criminal Intent. I've been on Bones. I've been on... um, Unreal, 13 Reasons Why, Man in the High Castle. I'm not going to continue. I just finished... Um, <laughs> you finished a few things, right? I just finished Dead to Me, season yeah, two, which great. I'm very excited about. It's probably my favorite job ever. That's great. Um, yeah, so that's me. Micah. Uh, my name is Micah Schraft. I started writing on a show called Hung on HBO a million years ago. Um, I've also worked on a bunch of shows. Liz and I worked on a show at short-lived show at ABC together called Red Widow. Yes, we did. Um, I worked most recently on Jane the Virgin. I wrote and directed for three years. Uh, Jessica Jones on Netflix. And I just finished um, writing and producing a limited series for uh, FX on Hulu called Mrs. America, which is coming out April 15th. Um, I want to ask Liz. Uh, we're going to start very positive. And okay. I want to ask you. Let's do it. Um, what made Dead to Me one of the best shows you've worked on? Well, as a playwright, my playwriting voice was humorous and very grounded humor. But then I got into this vortex of procedurals, which Mm -hmm. wasn't really anything I had ever done. And I learned how to do it. But it was always like, oh, what happened to my what happened to me in the process? Mm. And then getting back to finally, like after all these years to get back to something that felt so organic to me as a writer was, um, I, I can't explain it. It was just like 
the straitjacket was off and I could do and say and write. And it was so freeing and so much fun. That's great. Is yeah. there something about the way the room was run, something about the oh, yeah. atmosphere that was fostered? Tell <laughs> yeah, me about that. Yeah, it really was. Um, I felt like I was sitting in a room of people who had a process that was so similar to my own that it just coalesced so fast. Mm -hmm. The room came together so quickly. And I love Liz Feldman. I think she is um, incredibly talented and all so giving and so generous and so funny. Like we had, we never laughed. I've never laughed so much in a room. And I think the idea that she was, she just gave such permission to be really bad. Like, just say anything. <laughs> She'd be like, I don't even know what this is. I, I, I don't even know what I'm saying, but just listen to me. And then mm. we'd listen and then it would just go. And it was such a great dynamic. That's great. Yeah. Um, is this something that you'll bring to your own shows and how, like, how do you, Absolutely. how do you foster that? Well, I really took a lot of internal notes mm -hmm. in the room, paying attention to how Liz was able to keep the room moving in a certain way because the rooms can de get derailed pretty, you know, it's just normal. It's people talking. But she was she kept a really good balance of fun and freedom, but also directed mm -hmm. the conversations always had a goal or something that we were trying to accomplish. So that makes a lot of sense. Jessica, sort of the same question for you, you know, it seems like you've had a lot of success um, in that Harmon camp for a long time. Was there something about what, the way those shows were run that spoke to you? Was there something about the material that spoke to you? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say I was in the Harmon camp because I only worked on Rick and Morty and mm -hmm. I only worked on it for one season. Um, but but he and I got along really well. I mean, to the point where we started a podcast right. together. That counts as the camp. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And it really just came out of uh, organically. We were having these conversations during the during season three. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at one point he said, you know, if this were a podcast, I'd listen to it. And we kept <laughs> joking about doing a podcast together. And we came up with a bunch of joke names for our, our podcast. And then after the season wrapped, every time I would see him socially, he would say, hey, when are we going to do that podcast? And about the, maybe the third time I ran into him and he said, when are we going to do that podcast? I said, well, one of us owns a podcast network and one of us doesn't. <laughs> so you guess whose court the ball is in. And so literally the next day That's we recorded. <laughs> um, but it, and it seems to me like, you know, it was on Rick and Morty that people started really knowing your name, despite yes. having done, you know, Bajillion yeah. and Silicon Valley. Like, these were, yeah. you know, well-known shows. Yeah, I think the problem was, you know, when I first started writing, I started in kids' TV, and I was in kids' mm. TV for several years. And, I mean, nobody knows you. And, and this was, I mean, this was, like, pre-Adventure uh, Time, where people actually know, yeah. you know, get to know, like, a creator's name, really. Um, so, in kids' TV, you know, you're just kind of an anonymous person, um, and the only time somebody knew a show that I wrote on, I was like, okay, you you either have kids or you're creepy. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and it took me a very long time. It was actually Robot Chicken that helped me transition, you know, out of that. And after Robot Chicken, I got Silicon Valley. And that was like, that was a big leap because there is this stigma to writing in kids TV and writing in animation where you get pigeonholed. And once yeah. you're a kids writer and once you're an animation writer, um, nobody else really wants to take a chance on you and they don't really take any of that experience into account. So I'd been writing for like six years. I'd written on four shows when I got on Silicon Valley 
and I still had to start as a staff writer. Yeah. Because um, none of that counted. Mm. And did, um, did Silicon Valley come out of sort of the, I hate to say it, legitimacy given to you by Robot Chicken? No, actually. After, so uh, when I first start, so I got my start uh, from the Nickelodeon Writing Fellowship. Mm-hmm. I think it's now called the Writing Program, but um, but it was this uh, fellowship you apply for, and it was like a year long program. But three months into it, I got two staffing offers from two of their different two of their shows, and I wrote on this show, uh, this one animated show for two seasons, and then it was canceled. And then I got on this Nickelodeon um, from somebody I knew around Nickelodeon. The other, basically, the other show that had tried to staff me that I said no to. They were very sweet and gracious about it, and kept in touch with me. And afterwards, they the the showrunner was now on a different show, a live action mm-hmm. show, and so he brought me on to that show. Um, and uh, and after that, one of the guys I'd written with on the animated show uh, contacted me and said, I'm now a head writer for this like Star Wars project that ended up getting shelved, so nobody sure. knows about it. But, but it was that an anime. everybody worked on. Yes, that everybody worked on. It was called Star Wars Detours, and it was shelved forever before it ever hit yeah. anything. So it's just this. Yeah. And it went on for years. Yeah. When it was, sho- I worked on it for two seasons. When when it was. <laughs> oh really? Yes. When it was, when it was shelved, we were, we had season one in the can. <laughs> Season two was midway through production. We were writing season three, and it's just sitting Same. somewhere. And it was actually called Detour. I mean, that's Detours. A, Detours. Detours. That's yeah. pretty much sums it up. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and <gasps> Detours was uh, executive produced by Seth Green and Matt Sinreich yeah. of Robot Chicken. And so once that got shelved, they had me come on to Robot Chicken. After Robot Chicken, after we finished that season. Uh, at that point, my agent said, you have to write an original if you ever want to get out of kids TV and mm-hmm. animation. Because at that point, I was using a five-year-old office spec. <laughs> sure. And, like, it, my <laughs> spec was so old that the character Andy Bernard didn't exist yet, you know? <laughs> That's great. And so she was like, this is, I can't send this out anymore. Right. Like, this is embarrassing. You have to write an original. No one's going to read this. So I wrote an original, <laughs> and that's what got me on Silicon Valley. What happened to the original? Oh, uh, I mean, I think I just kept using it as a sample. Um, and it really shows that I had wanted to pitch it, but it was about a Chinese family. And back then, I mean, it really shows like how different the TV landscape mm. is now. Because back then, if I would show it to people like execs or something, they would be like, there, there's no market for this. Like, I don't know where this would go. You know, this would have to be a white family. And um, and so I just only used it as a sample. Um uh, but then, you know, last year, I it really shows you how much uh, how how different the landscape is in the last like five or six years. Yeah, mm. Not even um, that long. Yeah, because yeah. last year I made a pilot at ABC that is about a Chinese family, you know, yeah. and it was it was a different um, it wasn't that same spec. It was a different characters and a different premise. <laughs> Two Chinese families. Two Chinese. Can you believe it? I know. <laughs> no, I know. It's like I'm obsessed with Chinese families. <laughs> TV can't handle it. Yeah. Uh, Micah, I'm curious to hear, like looking at the stuff you've worked on from Hung and Secret Circle and, of course, Red Widow, everyone's favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, the secret circle. <laughs> I yeah, met him right no, after no secret circle. We don't have to. We don't have to talk about secret circle. <laughs> um, I think you just did. You just brought it up, and now it's awkward. <laughs> Let's keep it awkward. Was there a show that you felt like in in all of these uh, Tomorrow People, Jessica Jones, Jane the Virgin, that you felt like had your voice, even though you weren't the creator of the show? Um, I think to a certain extent, they all have a piece of me. Mm-hmm. That's the job is to sort of take the Venn diagram of what you do and what the show is and where they intersect. That's 
that's what you bring to the room. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there are moments in all of those shows where I feel like you can hear my voice and you can, in some shows more than others, like, um, when you come into a show that's already been around for like um, Jane the Virgin, I started on the second season. So mm -hmm. that show had sort of was fully formed. It was also very um, the creator of that show had such a clear, strong vision for what that show is that I sort of had to plug into what that that was mm -hmm. on a show like Jessica Jones, which when I started didn't have a pilot script really we sort of started from nothing and i wrote the second episode oh, we wow. sort of, and we we cross boarded them i felt like i was much more able to i'm also the creator of that show is an old friend of mine from red widow sure. and um so i was I, I feel like overall that show has more of me in it the first season of that show mm -hmm. which is the only season that i worked on so um but i think and the same is true for uh, my last show i mean two scripts existed uh when i got there but none of them had been shot and mm -hmm. It was nine episodes, so we sort of retrofit. Um, we were rewriting the first two episodes that Davi wrote um, to, to fit with the rest of the season as sure. we broke it. So um, it's kind of like not a this is not answering your question. I think it's just a complicated answer. <laughs> well, I think let's let's get specific on like let's talk about Jessica Jones for a second since you were sure. in so early. Um, what do you think? And let's again, granted, like this is all of collaborative medium. You know, the showrunner has the vision and we all sort of feed that vision. But we do put ourselves in it, too. What do you think is the you part of those early episodes? Well, OK, so Jessica Jones is a sh it's a Marvel show. And I had never read a comic book before mm -hmm. I started working on that show. And I actually someone gave me a, a really great book, which if you haven't read a comic book and you're on a comic book show, I would recommend reading it. It's called <laughs> Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud. Um, and because I had to read all of the Jessica Jones comics before starting the show. Um, and there are people who on that show are in the Marvel universe who are like comic book people. Like that's why they're they're there. Um, so I didn't bring any of that. As soon as we started talking about like what her powers were, I was like, <laughs> I, I, I totally tuned out. And I remember having this meeting with the Marvel executives and they were like, this is ridiculous. She can't jump six stories. She can only dump four stories. I'm like, well, I, I don't give, it's all it's all made up. Like right. I don't, four stories. So you just tell me how high she can jump, and then I'll just change the script because I don't understand that at all. It doesn't make any sense to me. They looked at me like I had three heads. Like, um, but for me, I knew what it was like to sort of be a hot mess of a young person living in New York, mm. um, and to sort of like um, have that kind of angle. Um, so I feel like. For me, I, I felt most connected to her voice, which is another part of the show. Um, like if you took the the recipe of all the different ingredients that made up that show, mm -hmm. that was a really that was an important part of it. The, the other things you sort of can learn, like mm -hmm. I sort of like I, I and I'd known this from other shows I'd, I'd worked on, like I've learned how to write like a fight sequence that also reveals something about character. Right. That's not something I'm like drawn to, but it's a skill. It's a skill set you mm. learn over time. Um but her sort of like, and and some of the the oddness, you know, she has like these. The, that world is populated by super weird characters. A lot of them who aren't in uh, the comic books. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that was um, I, I contributed. That was mm -hmm. sort of you, you know had a voice my 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 contribution to that. Yeah. And you know, then there's other really random things like the the villain's backstory was you know 
the conversation that led to the backstory came out of a story that I told about my childhood. Like, it's just, the, you know, the way that these, you know, you pinch sure. the pot and then you pass it along and then, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts kind of thing. So there are like specific things, but I would say overall, um, the sort of dark, the gallows humor of that show, mm -hmm. that is uh, what I connected to and sort of what I, um, I think was my superpower as it were in that particular <laughs> space. Um, but I, I do think that every show is, is different and of course, and, yeah. and, and you can learn, um, you learn the show. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that that's, if you, if you resist learning the show or you try to make it your show, mm -hmm. um, when someone else has the vision for the show, you can't really, um, succeed. You have to find your way in to the the world that exists of the show, yeah. and that was particularly true on a show like Jane. Like, mm -hmm. so I started the second season, and but that was a show. There's so many things going on in that show that, and and you know, the the creator of that show is brilliant, and so she really allowed you to whatever you could lock into, and whatever sort of buttons you could push, mm -hmm. or or um, like it, it, that show could get like really like. Wacky is not the right word because it sounds negative, but like it, like it can get really. Um, you could take huge swings on that show, mm -hmm. and 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 the container that she had created allowed for yeah. huge swings, both in like narratively, character wise, because that's sort of what the show was. So, so that was really fun, even though it was a world that existed before I got there. Within that world, there was sure. there was so much freedom to like be crazy and pitch wild ideas, and and she's also like so yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, I think that that thing of finding, you know, learning the show uh, and finding what you can contribute or how you can contribute, um, whether it's in a room or on the page, is something that new writers often struggle with. Um, and Liz, I wanted to talk to you um, and, and everyone, but I want to start with you in talking about some of those early experiences mm. that you had <laughs> and figuring out your place in the room and how, you know, you can best be useful to the showrunner. When I was, when I started, I started in um, probably the hardest boot camp that for mm. me personally, because as a playwright, I was very intuitive and just wrote and wrote scenes and was like, okay, then I need a scene in between here. And there was, wasn't really like me thinking about like, here's the outline, here's the structure, right. here's the plot. It was more feeling my way through a story and then whittling away until I f the story was like polished and ready to go. Um, then I got on to Law and Order Criminal Intent. <laughs> and That's not how they do it there. Oh, <laughs> and there was no room. It was you mm -hmm. and the showrunner who is a savant. He could keep five stories in his head at one time, know every plot point, and nail you on it. Like, hmm. And you had to go in there. First of all, you had to go in and pitch like five thumbnail ideas. Mm -hmm. And he'd say, no, they're all shit. <laughs> and then you'd be like, yeah. what? What do I do now? And, he, and, and if you didn't talk, nothing happened because it was a conversation between the two of you. So then you had to like, <laughs> then you had to go away. Then if he liked something, you had to, to like write your uh, start to to do the research and find your way in. And then it was this conversation, but it was like, I was so new and knew nothing about structure. And I'm mm -hmm. with a genius structure person yeah. who is forcing me to keep up with him. 
like it was one of those things. It was like Mozart Salieri. And I was just like, it's a, I don't understand. And he, and he would literally shoot down ideas and he'd be like, that's shit. That's horrible. Like, what is that? That's nothing. That's shit. And then he'd be like, what else you got? And if you didn't pitch, like I said, that was dead silence. And so I got really good at just talking (laughs) and just saying things that I didn't know. And, and, but, but through osmosis or something, I started to understand the process and, um, you know, so that was extremely mm. difficult that first season. I was just yeah, like in a lot of pain <laughs> and scared. <laughs> and also, you know, having to research murders and things that I knew nothing about, like gunshot wounds. And um, how was this the show you wound up on? <laughs> because, OK, it's, it's really crazy. I was writing plays and then Warren Light, who is the, mm-hmm. the showrunner of SVU, saw one of my plays and he was working with this theater company, Naked Angels, that I was doing a lot of work with. And he said, look, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Write plays for as as long as is financially possible. Don't just (laughs) try to get an agent and start doing that that path of like work. Develop your voice. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? Okay, okay. And I had like three jobs. I was like an office manager, an assistant office manager (laughs) at a PR company. I was teaching private exercise because I was a former dancer. So I had a bunch of clients for that. I was running a reading series. I was like selling t-shirts on the street. Like I did whatever I could. Plus my parents helped me pay my rent. And there was a point a couple of years into playwriting that I was like, I can't financially make this work anymore. And so I'd been brought out to L.A. by um, Carsey Warner, I think it was. They had seen a play of mine and they wanted to talk to me about a show. And I was like, I'm not really a sitcom writer. So they like opened the door and said, if you can write a spec, we Hmm. can get you on a show. But I couldn't do that. But then I started to look at this was around. You like, couldn't do it because it was because it just didn't. I, I didn't even sitcom. understand sitcoms yeah, or like how that, that worked. Sense. It was a very specific Absolutely. type of world, especially at the time. It didn't work for me. But then I was looking at TV and I saw Six Feet Under and Oz, and I thought, oh yeah, okay, this I think I could do. So then I started to ask around. I thought I'll just maybe I'll like be a writer's assistant and be a fly on the wall and see if like I like this. So I tried to get a writer's assistant job in New York, and there were none. I mean, there was like a couple of shows and like Sex and the City and I think, you know. And then there was a new show called 100 Center Street that Sidney Lumet was doing. Mm -hmm. And I knew an actress on the show. She, uh, I asked her if she would ask if there were any assistant jobs. And she basically hooked me up with an executive producer who was a law and order writer. (laughs) This is a roundabout way of saying that I ended up. Adding to my three jobs, I interned for this executive producer for free three days oh a week. God. And he said, I'll, he promised me, he was my mentor. He said, I'll teach you everything I know about television. And I said, okay. And then I made that work. I would go to his apartment and assist his assistant. I would <laughs> fill out FedEx slips. But he to, he was true to his word in this menschy way. Like he would put all of his notes calls on speakerphone and he would make sure I was listening. He would he would show me why a script was getting changed that he was working on. He took me to production meetings with Sidney Lumet. I wasn't allowed to talk in the car. I drove with them all the way to like <laughs> Queens and back. He said, you cannot talk. I was like, don't worry. It's not going <laughs> to happen. But about um, maybe six months into working with him, he said, I want to see your plays. Like you, but, and I didn't want, he, he got phone calls all day long from people wanting something from mm-hmm. him, like jobs. And I thought, I don't want him to think I want something. But then I did. And then 
Uh, about a couple of weeks later, he took me out for lunch, and he said, you've been holding out on me. You're a really good writer. But then he gave me some really tough love notes about my work and about how I needed to stretch that I was writing in one specific hmm. thing and um, sort of gave me a little assignment to open my ears and listen on the streets of New York and just write something that was so outside myself. And I did, and it was a great assignment. And then from there, he gave me a job writing a script for um, a series that he had that never went really anywhere. But the script, you know, Warren Light was one of the other sure. writers, and he read the script and got it to Rene Balsay, and that's how I got into Law and Order. So Interesting. Was, and I had done research for him for um, all those, you know, when I worked right. with him. So I knew sort of the law and order model of doing research, and that's how I got into procedurals. But it was so that's weird wild. that that's where <laughs> I – but that was the only way I could find a way in yeah. to thread the needle to get into television. That's really interesting. And I think, you know, look, it's it's come up on this show for six years now. Like there's no one way to break in. You know, everybody's story is different. Be ready when the time comes. You know, step up to the plate. And or do, not. do the work. Well, it I mean, sounds I was like so green sure, when I got that job. But I you mean, also didn't run away from it, and it, and you had no. done writing on your own, so you yeah. knew the craft. Years later, when there was a writer strike, I marched um, in the picket line with Renee Balsay, and I was like, I can't even believe you're talking to me. Like I was <laughs> so green, and we laughed and laughed about like how like like I wrote a C- I had. One of my scripts had a court scene. I knew nothing about law or legal (laughs) stuff, and I was so terrified of it, even though we had all these advisors, that I made the judge have a cold so that she she kept saying, excuse me, and coughing so she didn't have to talk. Oh, my God. I just was like, I can't, you know, and he read it, and he was just like, don't worry, we can make it better. But it was just like, I I tried everything to not have to write the legal stuff. It was terrifying. (laughs) So when uh, was there... A job where you started to feel like yeah. you got this. Like even like Bones was Bones a procedural was fun. too. Oh my God. In the beginning, it was really like, I was like, oh, character. Sure. Wow. I get to do character because on Law and Order, I have to be honest, Renee hired a ton of playwrights. And those first drafts were really incredibly character driven drafts. And then mm-hmm. they'd whittle them away and they'd turn them into. Law and order. Yeah. But the character, the little nuances with the character stuff would stay, the quirky stuff. That's interesting. But like when I got to Bones, I was like, oh, this is really fun. Like I can have character moments and yeah. um, have a character storyline that's outside of the procedural part. That makes sense. Yeah. Jessica, you know, Micah had mentioned not being a comic book person and coming to this comic book show. You're working on She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your relationship to the material? And how did you, more importantly, how did you find your way into it? Um, I was a comic book person, but uh, not mainstream comics. So when I was young, like my first job in high school was at the local comic book store. Mm-hmm. And when I was in college, I organized comic book conventions. But, like, I specifically was really into indie comics, like, stuff from, like, Fanagraphics and, like, Oni Press and, like, Slave Labor Graphics. Like, that's the stuff I read. So I wasn't, like, a big Marvel or DC person. Like, at most, I probably read – I read, like, a lot of Image and Vertigo stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was not, like, the – like, I wasn't reading – constantly just reading superhero comics, you know? Um, and however, I, I really loved She-Hulk because she was, I mean, I love the Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. I love the MCU just as a fan of the, like, they're just well-made, wonderful movies with great characters and well-plotted and, um, nearly all of them. And, um, 
I pitched a lot. Like when I first uh, met my features agent, I said to her, I said, all I want to do is write a Marvel movie. <laughs> and so she got me in there and um, and I, I pitched on three different Marvel movies before I got uh, yeah. She-Hulk. But I'd always loved She-Hulk. And uh, I just love the character. I really identified with her. And I, I, I kept saying to them, like, if you ever do She-Hulk, you have to call me or else I'll burn this building to the ground. Um, and so thankfully, it wor- I mean, Marvel's still standing. So, yeah, you know, they made the right choice. can't argue with the results. Um, so you you found your way in that personal way. Yeah. Uh, when you put together your room. Mm hmm. Uh, two things. What were you looking for? What were you reading? What were you responding to? But also, how were you able to convey that core vision to the the writers? Uh, you know, I think with TV, it always just starts with the characters, you know? So it really was about starting with this character and who she is, what her motivations were, what she's like, and how does she interact with the world? How does the world receive her and who are the people around her? Um, but with the, with the room, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't want just an entire staff of all comic book nerds, you know, because I mean, there's a whole other component of it that was comedy TV writing. Yeah. Um, we have a really, really good amount of, um, like diehard comic book fans. Um, but, uh, but the other half of the room is just like funny TV people who, are really great at making TV, are really funny, or, like, you know, really respond to the human parts of this character. Absolutely. Yeah, so it it really is a mix, because, like, when I I look at, like, putting together a staff as uh, some sort of sports team, I don't know sports, but some sort of sports team where, um, where, you know, like, uh, because I think that the mistake a lot of people make when they first start out is they think, I have to be good at every aspect of being Mm -hmm. a TV writer, and it's not possible. I mean, there's probably like three people, you know, working who are good at everything. Um, and it's just not possible. Um, but also, but if you're on a some sort of sports, if you're on a baseball team, you're not going to play every position, you know. So I always tell like younger writers, you know, figure out what you're really good at, what you really like doing, the aspect of the job that you, that's really, you know, your strength. Mm-hmm. And like hone that skill and also be honest when you go on a writer's uh, – go on an interview and say, like, this is the kind of writer I am. This is my strength. This is what I'm really, really good at because, you know, on say I have 10 people on a staff or 10 slots to fill. I'm going to think, like, okay, I'm going to want, like, three re- people who are really good at jokes and dialogue. I'm going to want, like, three people who are just really good at structure and story. And I'm going to want, like, two people who are really good at character. And I want, you know, a person who's going to do, like, the gut check of the show. Like, you know, I, I, I'm I going to assemble a team of people where it's a mixture of different positions, right. you know? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I want to talk about um, – we're going to get dark, but I promise we're going to get light again. Uh, and, Micah, we're going to start with you. Um, I want to hear about the struggles. I want to hear about a job that was frustrating or challenging or a time when, you know, you were trying to get your own stuff out in the world that was frustrating or challenging and, and how you overcame that. No one's going to hear this, right? No. It's just between us? This is between us. Um I, uh, you know, I, I've worked on a lot of really, really hard shows and, um, for various reasons. Um, and from those experiences, I have met some of my closest friends and it has inoculated me to, 
when I'm in a room and people are like, oh, this is so tough. I'm like, you don't fucking <laughs> you know no if idea. I'm tough. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're still getting out at six. <laughs> exactly. You know, like it's fine. Um, so I think that um, as hard as the hard shows were, and you know, I don't, I don't kiss and tell. I'm not going to name sure. names, but uh, I, I do think that it's it's just toughened me up in a way that that's really good. So I don't I have no regrets. It's like bad yeah. relationships. It's like you're not going to make the same mistake again, or you're going to learn from that, or you learn something about yourself. And um, and I think that like your bunker buddies, those relationships mm-hmm. that are forged in the hardest rooms, are some of the deepest mm-hmm. relationships that you have with people. Like, um, and so um, that's sort of the glass half full yeah. take on those experiences, which I can have now, yes. years later, because well, like this time is, my question. Is, is, <laughs> is, is, is the great. No, but there's, there's definitely been times when, you know, it, it's funny because when you're not running the room, you are immediately like, they should be doing this and it could be like <laughs> this and I could get us out by four. And then when you're given the keys and you are running the room, it's hard, you know? Um, I think... It's 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 hard to it, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and say what you would be doing differently, and I think that rooms can be toxic. And I think what is toxic is when people start to turn on each other. So I just try to, I want people to talk about what their concerns are or what issues that they're having, but in a productive, like non toxic way, mm-hmm. um, so that factions don't. I mean, ego is the big Absolutely. killer of any good room. Like every single time I've had a problem on a room, it has been because of ego clashes, and um, so. I just try to keep myself in check and I try to um, like be there for other writers who are like going through it or who need to like, sometimes people need to vent and blow off steam, but like when and how you do that is, um, is important. And that's why it's like, it's great that we all have offices because you can close the door and then just like come in, we'll have lunch together and you can like rant for a half hour and get it all out and have a good cry and then go back and, and sort of like do the work kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there. I think the the other th- hard thing is like you know when you, it's this tricky thing about, uh, right? I mean, the, the most difficult thing is being rewritten or having to rewrite someone else or feeling like you've missed the mark or, and just because the trick is you have to completely put yourself in the work for it to be good, which takes a like an opening of your heart and a big um, commitment of your emotion. And then as soon as you hand it in to the showrunner or the network or whatever, you have to sever your emotional connection to the work (laughs) in order to keep your sanity. And that's, that's a, that's a, that's a muscle you have to build over time of both committing fully and then detaching quickly. So as like a survival mechanism. And I think when I'm working with, uh, writers who are newer, who come from different. And I, I also started, I didn't start in TV. So mm-hmm. um, I had a different understanding of how things worked. And um, I think that that's just an important muscle to build for your yeah. own sanity and, and and mental health. And also to realize like, I, I just, I feel like sometimes people can get very, very sensitive and people, you know, the, the toxic environments are when people are counting pitches, when right. people are showboating for the showrunner, you know, when people are like the Warner Brothers frog, when the showrunner's in the room, and then when the showrunner <laughs> leaves, they turn into an asshole. And I, I, I think that that's just bad for that given room. And I think it's also very short-sighted because look, like the assistants or the PAs are the people who are going to be running shows in two years. I mean, literally like this amazing assistant we had on Jane is shooting her pilot now. So it's like you, 
you should treat everyone with love and respect because they're just people. Um, and then strategically, you also <laughs> should because the person who's the showrunner today is not the showrunner tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that oftentimes like people are trying to jockey for position with the person who has the power in that moment. And what they what they don't see is that they're alienating all of these other people. And there are people I won't work with. Like mm-hmm. I would sure. never hire. And listen, and I'm sure people feel that way about me. So, I mean, there's, there's enough work for everyone. Yeah, yeah. There, there's uh, a lot of good advice loaded uh, in there. And I think you know, this job is such a combination of ego and humility Yeah, uh, that you sort of have to have both. You know, you have to have an ego in order to put yourself into something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's like kind of presumptuous to be like, yeah, absolutely. what I'm going to write, like <laughs> yeah. 10 million people around the world right. are going to be interested in spending Listen 13 to hours to watch. It's like a little, it's yeah. a little much, but. Um, but the humility is, you know, uh, the part I think that is hard for a lot of people. And also, like, we can all be better, you know, like when a room is functioning really well, it is we are greater together, Mm, you know, like I I think that that's so and, and, you know, it's funny because we all know that like people have their names on particular episodes, but there are episodes that my name's on that I don't really do that much for and episodes that I feel like I wrote that don't (laughs) my name doesn't appear except like in the opening credit crawl. So. that's another part of the ego thing where you have to keep it in check and really be generous. I think that like the more generous you are with people, the more you, you know, read scripts of assistance or you help, you know, sometimes new, newer writers, it's, it's good to have someone who's not the showrunner read the script before the showrunner. And like the more you can, it, it all, it all comes back. Mm-hmm. Like it's all, it's, it's, it's all along, it's all the long game. Yes. Um, and, and it's this the most is, collaborative medium. And it's, too. it's, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but it's a marathon, not a sprint. And yeah. there are people who come back into your life that you don't, you just want to, it, it, it takes, I, I was talking to someone, um, a friend of mine who was very frustrated with some notes that, um, she had gotten from these executives. And I said, like, it's, it takes more work to be frustrated <laughs> than to see it as an opportunity to make the show you want to make. Like it's it's more it's it's more emotion. It takes a bigger emotional toll to carry these this weight of animosity or frustration or all these other things around with you. And I think that the other the other thing that can happen if you're in a toxic environment, which is just as bad, which is like you shut off and you stop talking. And I've had friends who are like, you know what? I figured out how to get through the show. I'm just not going to talk. And I'm like, well, that's not a solution either. <laughs> um, you have to sort of like forge a path through where you can contribute uh, in a way that's useful, that's healthy for you and useful for the show. And yeah. I think um, shutting off is not um, a successful, that that's not going to work right. long term either. Those, so. Yeah. It's it's navigating the personalities in a given space and yeah. and what the given show show is and figuring out like to your initial question like what part of yourself you 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 mm. can bring like when you're building a building like not everyone can do the tile work and the architecture mm. and the interior design like people do different things and you find out what your what your contribution can right. be who you are on Jessica's some kind of sports team. <laughs> I've decided it's baseball. Oh, okay. I, I do that all the time. I start with a sports metaphor and then I, I can only take it to a certain, the first, the first um, uh, feature or one of the first feature scripts I wrote, um, my manager at the time said, um, it's really, really good. But like, um, just so you know, like there was this whole basketball game in it, it took place oh, at high school. No. He was like, yeah, they, um, they don't score goals in basketball. Um, Amazing. I was like, what? <laughs> Incredible. Uh, Liz, I want to talk about something uh, more positive. Uh, 
Let's talk about the great rooms or even the bad rooms where you Oh, you learned. get to talk about the great rooms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. I'm, I'm profiling um, here. No, because I'm so impressed. Like, what Micah said, I could have said. This was yeah. – it was so succinct and so well said. And I think, you know, just, just to say that in today's world of television – People I know are not looking at your name on the screen and saying, oh, she wrote that episode. Yeah. They're looking at the People episode, know. right? Yeah. And and it's the idea of ego is just got to go away. Like yeah. you are a team and it is. You're the sum is the, is the total of, you know, whatever. <laughs> Edit that out. Um, <laughs> I literally just had a Trump moment. Um, okay. Uh, the good rooms and why? Well, I think it's or, interesting. Or the bad rooms and what in, you took from I've been from in them. some very toxic, horrible rooms. Yeah. But like Micah said, the banding together of the mm-hmm. healthy people <laughs> <laughs> has created some of the most lasting relationships in my life mm-hmm. in this business. And also just understanding that you're not alone and that there's somebody there for you that you can reach out to and you can say like, I need help, especially like when I was starting out to go to people who had experience mm-hmm. and and people that learning who you can trust. But I, I think there's never it, it's not a mistake to like Jessica said, to be like, I'm not good at this. Mm. And I, because I'm not good at this, I'm going to ask somebody who is to, to like help me. And um, some of the good rooms that I've been in, like I don't want to, um, you know, name names and stuff like that. But I will say that the Dead to Me room was one of the best rooms I've yeah. been in because Liz also did cast that room very mm-hmm. specifically. And so everybody brought a different thing. And together, we made it all came together in such a beautiful, fun way. Like I could never off the top of my head come up with something like she'd say, I need a joke. And I'd make like some strange – I mean, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like – the, uh, but yeah. that's not what you bring to But you know the like room. they they might be a funny quirky thing but right. it wasn't like a, a slam yeah. dunk Jesse Klein joke. Yeah. Joke, sure. right? But it's also different because I think feel like some some people are really good in the room of just like yeah. coming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I worked with some uh, like amazing sitcom writers on Jane, and they would just be like, "I need a joke," and it would be like it would all be <laughs> You're on like, the floor what are you doing? <laughs> but other people like I I write jokes, but I don't pitch jokes yeah. really. Mm-hmm. So it's like I can get to a joke, but I just can't not on the spot. Mm-hmm. Like, but it, in because the for moment. me, a joke doesn't come out of me; it comes out of a the character, character surprising yeah. me with something that they sure. say because I'm in like I write from internally inside the character. So um, I also I think that when I've been in rooms that are collaborative mm-hmm. and that like people who are really willing to put their ego like Hart Hansen said on day one of Bones check your ego at the door yeah. your name will be on a script like do not worry and that was such a good sort of that was my first experience on a a lot and in a hmm. in a real sort of Hollywood kind of thing. And I was scared. I was like, what is this going to be like working with other writers? Because I'd only worked with a showrunner. And um, it was it was nice to be able to have people to talk to and to share. I'm not answering your question. Um, you're, you're answering to I, my like, satisfaction. Am I positive? What, what is it positive? <laughs> let, me, let me ask yeah, this the, of uh, all of you uh, before we wrap up. Um, you know, we've talked about the contributions from a writer's room and looking at it as collaborative and as a team. What do you think uh, someone hiring you is looking for from you? What do you think your superpower is walking into any given room? 
Oh God! Everyone's looking oh. at me because I was the one who started this train. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have to know your. In many powers. ways, it is a train. Um, uh, I would say I'm a. I'm definitely a character person. Uh, I'm a structure person, and uh, like I'm. Def- I definitely. I can pitch jokes, but I'm definitely somebody who writes better jokes when I actually have the time because it's a different skill set to totally. to be a pitcher than to um, sit back at home and craft a joke. Um, and it was interesting but, to hear you say when you put together your room. Mm-hmm. You did have specifically like hard joke writers and yes. sitcom joke writers yeah, who can absolutely. do that. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. And those are the people. You know, maybe if you sent them home, they might not come up with something different. You know, yeah. it's it's a completely different skill set. Um, but but you say, but you knew yourself well enough to know you needed those people in the room. Yes, that you can absolutely. Do it you need a little. It's like a buffet. You need a little <laughs> bit of everything. Um, but I wanted to add to something that Micah was talking about when you were talking about like toxic rooms and like people who are bad and it's like and it's very short sighted. Um, this is why I'm a huge proponent of talking shit. I love talking shit because I think that we should all tell the truth about bad people. Absolutely. And anytime somebody reaches out to me and asks the person, I'm very, very honest about that person. And because I see time and time again terrible people who are so toxic and ruin a room and are just and also just, you know, got there on a false sold a false bill of goods. Yeah. And when somebody calls their showrunner for a reference, they don't want to talk shit. They want to be nice because they're all spineless cowards. <laughs> and they um, and so they're like, yeah. But can't you read between the lines? Like there's a difference yeah. between like a glowing reference yes. and a polite yeah. one. I'll tell yes. you. No one's, gonna talk, no one's going to say this person sucked because no one wants to tank someone else's of career. Of course. And you don't know mm-hmm. what they were going through in their personal mm-hmm. life at the time. But like. I've, it's like when you get notes, you yeah. can, everyone says nice things about your script because they have to, but you can tell when <laughs> someone's like feeding you a lot of bullshit or yeah. when they like, when they really like it. And then you have to decipher mm-hmm. like what, what read between the lines. Like what are you mm-hmm. actually well, saying? Do you ever get the texts of, do you know so-and-so or, and then, yeah. or you've sent out a text to somebody yeah, yeah. and you get, I'll the, call you. you get, yes. yeah, do you have a minute <laughs> to talk? You. And yeah. then you're like, oh God, that's yeah. not yeah. a good one. Yeah. Or the <laughs> most, I mean, the most diplomatic way to say it is, uh, I would personally never work with them again. Like right. that, I mean, because you, you can't be more clear than that. You know, yeah. even if you, if you don't want to give specifics, you right. can just say like, all I'll say is I would not work with this person again. But I'll also say mm-hmm. just in terms of like the reference tip, like, mm-hmm. again, it's another time where people really like showboat for showrunners, but mm-hmm. people call everyone for references. Mm-hmm. Yeah, People call me all the time for references for showrunners. So I just think you have to be... You have to live like a decent person. I I will also say, not to be like too Pollyanna, but uh, people do change. Mm -hmm. And so someone called me uh, about a reference for someone that I worked with many years ago. And I said, I worked with them many years ago. And the truth of the matter is, is that people can learn. I mean, Mm -hmm. can people, some people are just assholes. There's no cure for narcissism. Maybe they were on the wrong job. Like I've worked with people who were on the wrong job. I've been on the wrong job. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't that's not a reflection of me it's a reflection mm-hmm. of this just wasn't the right. best the situation situation yeah. and i think that it's interesting because it can also work both ways like people will put i think potentially there's the um reverse where people will sandbag people on mm-hmm. purpose mm-hmm. like you know what i mean to to yeah. get them to not get a job mm-hmm. and you have to be able to decipher that too but you, i only call for references with people that i have 
really good relationships. Yeah, like I think that, that yeah. that's another you way to get through the bullshit. You the reference wrong. Like yeah. I'm never like it, I mean, Liz and I know each other for years. Like if she called me about someone, I would give her the unvarnished right. yes. my unvarnished mm-hmm. take on someone. Um, someone who I've just met, mm-hmm. I, you know, you have to be careful Absolutely. because you don't know. I don't yeah. know. But people. there is a huge difference between this yeah. person which is not right for the job versus somebody right. who is truly toxic and a bad person. Yeah. Like yeah. assholes, I don't forgive. No. Like no. I'm, I'm like bad person. <laughs> you shouldn't have a job. And I see it a lot where people who didn't have the good are just fucking fraudulent yeah. and or just are horrible people like behave horribly to people like and then I see them get jobs over and over Absolutely. and over again. And those are the people that I think should not work, should not get these jobs. Sure. I'm 100% OK with telling the truth about like awful people. I don't want awful people to keep working and to to keep climbing and getting into yeah. more positions. They get, as they get more and more senior, the more the more they can act like this rampantly. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, no. And we we've seen it happen for decades and decades. Yeah, and, and I'm fucking sick of it. Yeah, absolutely. But you can also say like, what are you? Like, I think that there are people who pitch pitches from other TV shows or from like Star Wars, and then there are people who pitch pitches from like when I was four. This happened to me, and so you can also say like, what are you looking for? Are you looking for like the person who p- who pitches rehash plot points from Star Wars, or are you looking for the person who are, is may not have the perfect pitch but is yeah. going to tell you? And so you sort of have to feel out the room. But I, I don't disagree with you. I don't. I'm not going to advocate for assholes. Um, and I. You and and we're talking. Be... You're talking about different things too. Yes, I mean, I think totally. You're what? What you're talking about, Jessica, is people who deserve to have them. Yeah, absolutely. About like and, I just don't like this thing where I see it happen a lot, which is people yeah. don't want to be seen as not nice or mean, so they don't want to say like this right. person was horrible and treated people badly, right. you know. And then so they say, oh, they were great, you yeah. know. And then you see that person get a job, but then you see the pattern where they're like only on one season. <laughs> Every show they're on yeah. one season, and they never get asked back. No, and then you know what I mean. But it does take a lot of detective work for you to read between the lines. And I wish we didn't have to. Right. Like I wish some people weren't so like smoke and mirrors and cloak and dagger about it where they're just like look no I, I, I would not do it you know but, but I, I think that showrunners should not just call the other showrunners I have mm-hmm. a uh, oh yeah totally who, I was Absolutely. like call the staff writers yeah. call, call the, the writers pe- assistant who saw everything on call the office yeah. PAs like call those people like call everyone yeah. you know because you're a different person to the show. but I also think I will yeah. say you can't, you can't you also have to read between the lines because mm-hmm. in today's mm-hmm. world of streaming mm-hmm. people do do right. one season because yeah. like it takes 13 months in between yeah. or eight months yeah. in between and people can't sustain can't a living back. you have to cobble together these like mm-hmm. like patchwork yeah. quilts of mm-hmm. a career but you know yeah. within two seconds of talking yeah. to yes. someone if that's why they weren't on the second season <laughs> yeah. or because yeah. if, if the person the first thing the showrunner says is we were desperate to get them back but we lost them because of blah right. blah blah exactly. and then you're like oh it, it yeah. was because it took 16 months yeah. before the second season right. was greenlit there's, but, a, yeah. there's a difference between the comedy writer who has only worked for his friend because mm-hmm. he's an asset to the room yeah. and who's only worked for his friend because his friend is the only one who will hire him yes and I've, yeah. I've worked with a lot of people like that mm-hmm. I've worked with uh, I've worked on a show where the showrunner hired his hired his brother on every single yeah. show that he's on, and the guy never pitched once. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? It's like I've worked on shows where the yeah, it's like the show somebody's there, and you're like, why the fuck did, is that guy in this room in such a high position? And you're like, oh, they've been friends with the showrunner for ten years. So I think you know, like the mm-hmm. the bottom line lesson, well, a couple things is you know one. Do our due diligence, you know, talk to people who have worked with others. But it comes back to, Michael, what you were saying from the very beginning, which is like 
be decent because you're a person and other people are people. Yes. Like get in that room and be a decent person. And recognize how difficult it is to walk in a room of strangers. A lot of times you start on a staff, you don't know anyone. I mean, you have to then open yourself up, open your heart up, open your mind up. And then it takes a little bit of time for everyone to start seeing and hearing the same thing. that's right. Right? Mm -hmm. And if you're just not open to what somebody else is saying and you're only – you're plowing through on your vision and you're not really taking in what they're saying, you're missing out on the potential of something really great. But it takes so long to to create an an environment where people feel like they can give of themselves, but it takes two seconds to get people to never stop – to never talk again. Absolutely. Because people will shut people down in a room so fast and that's what pisses me off the most where it's like I don't like people to go on rambly tangents and like be unfocused and all that stuff and you can steer people back to like whatever the topic at hand is. But when people just, you just see like, you know, the writer's assistant finally has like a pitch they want to get out. And then the first words out of someone else's mouth, that doesn't work. Like, fuck you. Like, and then you're like, well, that person's going to like not talk again for three months. And it's like, there is a certain responsibility we have, like that everyone's learning. Like we're all learning. The the showrunners are learning. Like everyone's learning. So it's like, it's that balance of being like, we don't want, we want to have a directed conversation, but we also don't want to like, you know, you know, it's the, like it's just reminding me of like when you know when you're in a room and it's a show that doesn't have a pilot, the, the pilot script is being rewritten, and people come in and they don't know each other, and somebody inevitably there's the person who is like knows the show, right? They know the show, and they are going to be like 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 they're the arbiter of like what the show is, and you're like we haven't even cast it, we don't even know the voices, like the writers still rewriting the pilot, like what are you? And they're just so adamant, and their their pitches are so like. Hardcore, and you're just like I always just sit back and marvel at the hoods. Like, like how <laughs> right. do you do that? But there are some people. Like I remember on Jane when I started, there were so many talented writers on that show, and there were people who did understand the show. Sure. They were really hooked into the voice, and I. But they've been on for two seasons. They've been on, but I would listen to them, and I would be like, "Do you, you know, do you think that this is sort of like yeah. in the pocket, or is this?" too goofy or is this too earnest or is this what like what where are the parameters so, so that you can learn absolutely you know? That's, those people are of value when yeah. you're coming into a pre-existing show and there are those people who are the arbiters of that show like yeah yeah um you know micah you used the word responsibility um a couple minutes ago and i think that's something we don't talk about very often but we do have a responsibility to each other uh, in a working environment to, and, and again, you brought this up earlier, to help each other. Uh, we do need to wrap up. Uh, and I will end, as we always do, by asking you what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your room, with your friends, with your loved ones? Uh, and, Micah, we're going to start with you. Oh. <laughs> I think I saw all of television already. Um, <laughs> you did it. I've been watching, like, Netflix docs. Like, like what? Anything like good? um the the what with the the internet cat killer one? What was that <laughs> sure. called? Oh, don't fuck with cats. Don't fuck with cats. And I'm like, I just finished watching Grand Design, which is uh what an is amazing <laughs> design show on um Netflix. This is really bad. Like I should be watching <laughs> some like you know what I just watched um that I just finished was um Rami. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love Rami. Someone told me I to just, watch it. Yeah, I'm watching that. And I thought that that was um, really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm like really like in a like a doc docky phase now. There are no wrong answers here. Then in the last recording, all three people said "Love Is Blind." 
Oh no, I haven't seen that one. So, <laughs> so you're already doing better. <laughs> no, there was there's I worked on one show where like everyone it was a it was called the Tomorrow People and it was sort mm-hmm. of it had sort of a sci-fi angle to it and everyone in the room watched Game of Thrones and I watched the first season of Game of Thrones. Usually, what I'll do is I'll watch like a season of the show and I'm like, oh my god, I loved it. I totally get it and never watched it again. Right. So I never watched anything after the <laughs> first season. So every like Monday after Game of Thrones aired, there'd be like a four hour conversation. I'd be like, I'll go to my office and like when you guys are done talking about that, like come get me. <laughs> and uh, on on Jane <laughs> the Virgin, it was the bad. Bachelor. It was oh another show I didn't watch, but everyone else watched. And I was like, you're going to talk about The Bachelor for four hours and just come. I'll be in my office and come get me. So I'm often off the off the beaten path. I feel like Game of Thrones derailed more writers rooms over their five, six years of existence. Than well, I could show. tell you everything that happened in oh, Game too. of Thrones Never through osmosis. Like, yeah. I mean, the Red Wedding was just like all we talked about for like two weeks. And I'm like, I definitely don't have to see this right now. I remember they were talking about the Red Wedding and it was just my it was just when like Frozen hadn't come out yet, but they had released the video for Let It Go. And I was like, you guys, you guys, palate cleanser. I want to show you this video. And they were like, who, what are you doing here? And I'm like, that's a fair question. Yeah. Liz, what are you watching? Oh, I'm all over the place, too. Um, Rami just finished. Succession just finished. Oh, Succession's so good. So good. Uh, War of the Worlds. Watching that on it? Epics. Uh, you I'm know curious what? to I'm watch in. it. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. It's it's what you expect, all right. right? But I mean, I need one of those right now. <laughs> I love Gabriel Byrne. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Doom Patrol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. My son is into that. It's so really I'm watching that. It's really good. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Saul, Better Call Saul, so and uh, Larry David. I sample a lot, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm all over the place with that. And then with my daughter, it's like Disney plus she's eight. So, <laughs> What is she into? Bunked. Uh-huh. Yeah, I could sing the song, but I won't. Do it. Uh-uh. <laughs> I can't even remember. It's like Kiki Waka, Camp. You know, you guys know that song, right? Nobody knows it, right? You guys don't have kids. Oh my god! (laughs) No, do you want to see the video from Frozen? (laughs) When the Kiki Waka song comes on in our house, like it's literally maddening. My son is sixteen; he has autism, right? Like he goes nuts when that comes on. He's like, "Turn it off!" My My husband and I both look at each other, like, "Yeah, okay, it's Kiki Waka." I mean, it just goes. It's like a very maddening song. Um, What else do we? We watch a lot, a lot, a lot. Dinosaur documentaries with my son right now. That's great. Um, yeah. Nice. These Baking are good answers. Shows. Yeah. Jessica. Um, I'm watching The Outsider, mm-hmm. which I'm really enjoying. Uh, I, I watch a lot of love and hip hop, all franchises. Um, <laughs> that's kind of, those are the two main things that like I get excited about every week. I'd say your personality is the perfect blend. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Thank you all so much for being here. Uh, I've enjoyed talking to you. Thanks. Thanks Thanks. for having me. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook. Pew, <coughs> pew,